Well, anyways, today we are continuing on in our study of the book of Joshua. So we're going to be in chapter 6 in the book of Joshua, and this is going to be the, the, uh, the narrative and the story of the fall of Jericho, one of the famous stories that maybe we learned in Sunday school or at VBS or heard about. This is the fall of Jericho, the march around the city, and those walls come tumbling down, 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 right? So we're going to be, t- we're going to be talking about that story, unpacking that. And as a reminder, this whole series is, again, about victory, It's about victory in God and how God has claimed victory, and we see that in the story of Joshua and the nation of Israel, but also how God has claimed victory for us and in our lives as well through his son, Jesus Christ, that we have this promise of victory and that we have this promise to cling to that through God's son, we are victorious over death. We are victorious over sin. And so every message is evolved around this, this idea of victory. And so today, I'm going to unpack this idea that God gets total victory. Just 100%, he gets total victory. And that's going to kind of come from this, this story of the fall of Jericho and some other things that we're going to see that the Lord has done for the nation of Israel, but also has done for us through his son, Jesus. So before we uh, dive in, I want to go ahead and pray for us. Lord God, thank you for this day, this morning, and I'm just seeing a lot of amazing people here, Lord. Um, Holy Spirit, again, speak through me. Let my words not be mine, but be yours, and let your truth from your word just be prominent and just be in the forefront as always, Lord. And so we give you this day. Pray us your name. Amen. So a little bit of context again um, to where we are at in this story in case throughout the summer you've had some vacations and things like that. Uh, The nation of Israel had just crossed the Jordan River. So they are now in the promised land. God stopped the Jordan River, just stopped it up so they can actually walk across dry land. Once they did that, they built a huge memorial of stones. Remember that event. And they also circumcised all the generations that were not yet circumcised to re-up their covenant with God, to say, okay, we are back in line with your promise, God. We are back in line with your covenant, and we are, we are ready to step forward into this place that you have prepared for us. So that's what's happened so far. And remember, even earlier, they've already kind of checked out Jericho, this city. They had some spies go there, and they saw that it was thick walls, big walls, kind of a fortified city. And they were even, you know, tucked away by Rahab and her family. Um, they, were, they were hidden from the, from the Canaanites that were in Jericho. And so they know what they're coming into. They know that there's this big, hard city that they have to kind of step forward and essentially conquer. So we have this nomadic tribe of the Israelites, no infrastructure, just living out in the wilderness, camping it up. And they're like, all right, our next step is this city of Jericho, this fortified city. And what's kind of cool for some context too from uh, some modern research and archaeology is they've kind of figured out this city was more like super thick mud walls, but it was fortified. It was most likely lived by or lived in with military figures. So commanders, um, different types of officers. And then the people living in that city were most likely kind of military-esque type of people, like very much like, like, come on, come on, come on, and just like kind of hardened people. It'd be like if we just walked into a city and everybody was just carrying around like AK-47s, just like looking at you like, what's going on, man, right? 
They were a fortified city. They had some edge to them. But what we're going to read about is they've heard about God. They've heard about the powerful um, just ambiance of who God is, and they're a little frightened. And so what we're going to do actually is pick up in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It goes right into chapter 6 and kind of gets some context to become the story of Jericho. So Joshua 5, verse 13. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Remember, they've crossed the promised land. They're like an enemy territory, essentially. So he's like, what's going on? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army, army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now we're going to jump to the next chapter in chapter six. It flows right into it. So verse one, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or go out. Again, this is a pretty hardened city, but they're already a little afraid because they've heard about what God has done. Verse 2, But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. Essentially, I've given you total victory. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, here's the first thing I want for us to get from this section of scripture is this. We live from a position of victory. Let's know it and let's share that. Let's know it, believe in it, and let's also share it. So God is good to remind us and also Joshua in this context that we are victorious. There's multiple times that God reminds Joshua, like, I've given you this land, like this city is yours, like you will win. He reminds them time and time again that he's victorious, that the battle has been won. And God is showing up in major miraculous ways, stopping rivers, providing manna every single day when they're in the wilderness. There was countless things that were happening that was, again, showing the people of Israel, God is victorious. God has got this. God is backing them up. God is the one who is going before them and claiming victory. And not only for Joshua, but for us, we have that same reminder. I mean, yes, we can read these things and they, they apply to us, but I also want to be reminded of just the victory we have in Jesus. In, in Revelations 12, 11, it talks about how we have overcome by the blood of the lamb, so that's Jesus and his sacrifice, and the word of our testimony. Or essentially, we right now in this current culture, in this context, have total victory over all things in our life through Jesus, and then we overcome it even more by letting others know it and to share that outright. So we know it and we share it. See, the blood of Jesus gives us victory hands down. 
There's nothing more powerful than that innocent blood of the lamb, who Jesus Christ is, sacrificed on that cross, pouring that out. When we say yes and believe in that, that gives us victory over sin and death. No pharmaceutical can promise that, just hands down. That's where we have victory. And the word of our testimony carries that truth out. When we share what God has done, we take ground against the enemy and we make them shut their doors. Much like we read about in Jericho, their doors were shut. They were like, ah, like we don't want anybody in or out. Like, ooh, like God's gonna mess us up. There was already this mentality that God has won. And when we as Christians, as people who are following Jesus, share and talk about what God has done or is doing, even if we don't know if the battle has been won in this current context of a diagnosis or a relationship, but we're saying, I'm believing for God to overcome. That's us basically saying like, shut your doors, enemy. Like God's going to win. God's going to overcome in this situation. And then when God answers those prayers, we share that. We give him credit and we see how powerful that is against the enemy. Much like what's happening right here in the context of Joshua, this hardened city of Jericho, they're afraid. They, they don't want people in or out. They, they, they don't want nothing. They're like, we don't want you, yo. Like, get out of here. That's what they're saying because they already know that God has gotten victory and God has the victory. See, the nation of Israel, they had total victory even before, even before the battle had begun. That's what we have in Jesus over sin and death. The lies of the enemy have no place. When we walk and talk and let God's story go before us, the enemy has no room to even run his mouth. The doors are shut and he hides, he goes away. So the town is in shutdown mode. They are afraid. And the mil this military town, hardened, a bunch of you know, strong soldiers, they're afraid. They are afraid because they know that God has won. We know that as well in our life. In whatever context, God has won and God has total victory. So now back to the, the, the story. Joshua, the nation of Israel, do what was instructed by God. They march around Jericho silently every day with the priests ahead of them blowing on their horns. They do that once a day for six days. And then on that seventh day, just like before, they wake up. This time they march around that seven total times. On that seventh time when the priests go crazy on those ram horns, the whole nation just starts shouting and erupting and just going crazy. And that's when the walls come tumbling down. So let's pick it up here in Joshua 6, verse 16. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast in their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. So we're going to stop right there. That again, God wins. They already are claiming before even anything happens. He's saying, these walls are coming down, man. Like, this is easy. Like, God has got this. So now further on in verse 17. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared for she protected our spies. That was again from chapter three, read right about that story. Verse 18. 
Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. You will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord, must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Now we're going to go down to verse 26. Now at that time, this is after this destruction, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. There's a lot that just happened in this context, a lot that's just going on that I want to unpack with us for a little bit. And there's, there's two big things, but the first one, again, is this theme that God gets total victory. God gets total victory. When those walls came down, they rushed in, and they took out, like, everything, right? Men, women, young, old, donkeys, cows, kitty cats, which that should have been the first to go. No, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm a dog lover. I'm a dog lover. Sorry. <clears throat> anyway. When they take over the city to completely destroy it, they again get total victory. Everything is just gone. Because what we're going to see and unpack here is God gets total victory. Just not partial, not just a little bit. He completely gets the victory. And his all-consuming fire purifies all that isn't good out of those areas. So now I want to be honest in this destruction, it brings up a lot of hard questions. Why would God do this? Why would God allow even killing young and killing this? There's a lot of killing happening. There's no love in this. Like, where is the redemption? Maybe people could have a second chance, whatever it might be, right? Well, I want to kind of establish, not only theologically, but also historically, God's reasoning behind this but also for us to see, okay, God has a plan and a purpose in all things. He's creator God. His ways are higher than our ways, but this nation, they were messed up, the Canaanite nation. They were a detestable people, and God wanted to rearrange that. And again, in his promised land, set the Israelites up in an area where they can flourish and again, be with God. So what I wanna do is jump back to Deuteronomy chapter 9. This, again, is right before the Israelites are going to cross into the promised land. And God's giving them a pretty, pretty big speech. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 9, verses 1 through 6. He says, Listen, O Israel, today you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land belonging to nations much greater and more powerful than you. They live in cities with walls that reach to the sky. The people are strong and tall. Descendants of the famous Anakite giants. You've heard the saying, who can stand up to the Anakites? But recognize today that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. Again, total victory. 
He will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them and drive them out just as the Lord has promised. Now, verse four, after the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we are such good people. No, it's because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity that you are about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must recognize that the Lord your God has not given you this good land because you are good, for you are not. You are a stubborn people. So God is really establishing this fact that these nations who are in the promised land are no bueno. They are not good. They are wicked. They are evil. And he is going to push them out because they've taken this promised land that he has promised the nation of Israel many years before. They have taken it over and have defiled it, have made it impure, He's saying, I'm going ahead, not because you're good, Israel, you're pretty, you're pretty stubborn, but because of how evil and wicked they are. He wants to come in and, again, get total victory, but, again, reset up the promised land as a place for the nation of Israel to flourish. Now, one more section in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He says this, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, Be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does this does these things is detestable to the Lord is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. So again, he's getting even more detailed. These nations, these pagan religions that are in the promised land, are evil, are wicked, are demonic. They are doing things that are not even close to being righteous. There is not one little ounce of righteousness in their acts. And so he is saying, we are taking that out, and I'm going to reestablish this promised land as a place for the nation of Israel to flourish. And so a few things from historical perspective that I find very, very interesting And as you read through the Old Testament within these Canaanite religions and pagan religions, most of the names you'll hear are Baal or Molech, which is some of the big, big gods and prophets within the Phocian religion, which is like Egypt and North Africa and around that area. And the Canaanite religion as well are Baal and Molech. And these are mentioned multiple times throughout the Old Testament, and they're always mentioned in a negative context in a context where God's saying, this is detestable. What they are doing is not right, is not good. These are things that are evil, demonic, and lead people astray from God and, leave them, and lead them to a life of destruction. 
And so um, really quick with, with Baal and Molech, Baal is essentially this overarching God who they thought was in control of kind of everything, like their creator, that he um, provided rain or this, and if they didn't do things right, rain was withheld, um, the sunrise, the sunset. It was like this overarching God, and that was what they thought. And now to appease Baal, one of their main methods was through Molech, which is this God of fire, but essentially it's the God of child sacrifice. That's what they used Molech for. And there's tons of, and it sounds crazy, but these burial sites that they find in these archaeological, in these archaeological digs of tons and tons of baby bones, like 20 to 30 to 40,000 just baby bones in these mass burial sites from these cities and these fortified areas that would practice these sacrifices. And again, these cities are not large. Large for ancient standards, but it's 10,000 people, 20,000 people. But they're finding graves of like 20,000 bones of babies. And here's how they would actually um, appease the God of Baal. And sorry, it might be a little intense, but this is the history. This is what God is telling them and why he is driving this out. And so two main ways. Molech would either have these huge, huge arms this big like bronze, it was in the Bronze Age, statue or a big structure over a roaring fire, just arms laid out there. And people to appease the God of Baal would bring their kids, babies, and just lay them on these hot, hot arms and make them sizzle so the fat would drip down into the fire and make it roar even more. That's what they thought was good. That's what they thought was perfect. That's what they thought was righteous. Just put them on the arms, let them sizzle. That, that'll appease the God. Another way is having a huge, huge structure, kind of in the shape of a bull or a cow. And essentially like a furnace, like you read in the Old um, Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So a big furnace. And they'd essentially take their kids and just throw them in there. And they would want the screams and the different steams that would come to filter out of the head of this bull or the head of this cow figure to tell Baal, to tell Molech, we are doing what you want. It would vent out. That's what they were doing. That's what they thought was normal. That's what they thought was their righteousness. So this is what the nation of Israel is walking toward into. This is what God is saying, I'm driving this out because I don't want A, this nation to even imitate that, but B, this needs to stop. This detestable act, this demonic act, this witchcraft needs to stop. And so that is why theologically, also historically we can see that God is coming in and he needs total destruction and wants total destruction so that he can show we're starting brand new. We are starting brand new in the promised land. Now I think through that we can get this picture that again, the culture of the Canaanites is not your average, everyday, ancient culture. They were led by a dark and demonic force that has no value for life or for the creator, God. And so again, in that Joshua account in chapter 6, verse 21, it says that they completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. 
And then again, Joshua makes that proclamation of like, don't even rebuild what was here once. Like, don't even think about looking back at what God has just completely destroyed. Don't have remorse for it. Don't look back. And I think for us, that same heart should happen for our own sin. Is God completely has destroyed sin and death in our own life through his son, Jesus. So let's not look back at what was. Oh, oh that, that was my old life, and yeah, I, I used to do this, I used to do that. No, just get that out, because we are stepping brand new into what God has planned for us. We don't look back. We, we honor God and say, you have done great things, but we don't look back in remorse. We say, God has total victory in that area of my life. And I'm gonna claim that victory and step forward even further in that victory and tell others about it. And so now, with Joshua and this victory of Jericho, here's another thing I want us to kind of pull from this text is this, is what is your first victory or what needs to be your first victory in your life? Kind of a long line there. But what is your first victory or what needs to be your first victory in your life? So Joshua, this is his first official victory as the leader of the Israelites. This is a big deal. It cements his leadership, his trust in God, the nation's trust in him, but it's also demoralizing for the whole nation of Canaan. This fortified city got whooped up by a rookie, is what this basically being said. Like, Joshua took us out, but Joshua says, it wasn't me, it was God. Like, God went before. And so that reputation is, again, being pushed further and further out. And so for us, what needs to be our first victory? Or what was your first victory that still needs to be shared, needs to be told, that testimony of, I was like this, but then God intervened, and now, wow, this story is all about God. What needs to be shared with someone? Or maybe you have a new season in life. You have just rededicated your life to Jesus. Maybe you've said yes for the very first time of I'm all in for Jesus. Or you've just set the reset button on your life and say I'm getting back in line with God's promises. I'm getting back in line with his righteousness. Whatever that is, what is the battle or the stronghold that God has won in your life? that you need to claim every single day. If it's a habit, an addiction, a relationship, or what is something that you need to step forward in and to believe that God's gonna get total victory in? Is it a habit? Is it an addiction? Is it a, re a relationship? Is it a state of mind that you're saying, I don't know if God's gonna get victory in this. No, God gets total victory. He does. We see that and we know that. So what is that first victory that you need to step forward in? Like Joshua, they had to march. They had to do things that might be ordinary, right? They marched around and around and around. But they knew that God had the victory. They knew that God was going before them. See, we have victory when we claim it through Jesus, so let's claim it and share it. Maybe you're on day five 
of walking around your Jericho, walking around the thing that you're still battling. Keep marching, keep praying, keep walking, keep believing that you have victory through Jesus. If it's an illness that's ravaging your body, you have prayed hundreds of prayers and are just done with God. Know that he gets victory, will have victory, so keep marching, keep going. When we step forward in those moments of life, we take ground and we claim victory against the enemy. When we confess, when we keep praying for healing, when we keep believing during times, times of hardship, we strip the enemy of its power and we overcome. Just like we read in Joshua, the enemy, they were, they were shut in. They, they were scared because they knew what God has done and they knew that God was coming for them. And in our life, when we claim victory over areas of our life, the enemy shudders. When we believe wholeheartedly, there will be healing in this. There will be victory in this. The enemy takes a step back because they know the truth. And that's that God gets total victory. So the other part too is again to, to share that out loud, to share that with others. And sometimes it's hard to share in the middle of a battle because you're like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I'm believing that God gets victory, but I also don't know. And that can be super, super tough. And I know even for myself, it can be hard to share. I'm kind of a private person. My mom would laugh like in grade school, I'd come home and she'd be like, how's your day? And I'm like, oh, I got elected president of the school. She's like, what? You didn't tell me. I'm like, nah. I just, I'm just one of those people who just, I don't share a ton. But I want to share just a little bit of just some recent things. Sorry, I'll probably get emotional. Uh, for my wife and I, so a lot of you know that we're pregnant, which we're super excited about. October 6th is our due date. But we've had, a, we've had a hard season, and some of you have known kind of the struggles that we've been in. So my wife gets this condition called hyperemesis, gravidarum. Sounds like a weird, like Harry Potter thing or whatever. Um, but essentially what it is, is extreme, extreme morning sickness. About 3% of women get this in their pregnancy. And then within that sample set, it varies by like extreme or non-extreme. And Whitney is what, the, is what the doctors called their special case, which means she was like the extreme, extreme. And she's like, yay, special case. Like, that's awesome. <clears throat> but from about week six of her pregnancy, to like week 20, 21, she was like not dying, but it seemed like dying. She would intensely vomit 20 to 30 times a day and not just like bleh, but like enough where there would always be rupturing in her esophagus lining and blood would be a part of that. And it just looked like, what is going on? She couldn't eat or drink for about eight weeks. So we ended up getting a pick line in her arm that went up right up to her heart. There's a 24-hour drip of TPN formula, which is just nutrition, hydration, proteins, different things like that, that just fed her, kept her alive while she's keeping this other little baby alive. And that was kind of our season. And it kind of, uh, sorry, it plays with your brain, even as like a pastor, where you get people to call you and say, hey, can you pray for my friend in the hospital? Pray for my, my wife or whatever. And you're like, sure, sure, I'd love to go to the hospital and pray with you. But then pray for your own wife. There's nothing there, you know? It messes with your brain. You're like, God. Oh, thanks. I probably won't use them, but thanks. <laughs> um, it messes with you. It does. But in the process of 
checkups and ultrasounds and different things. We kept seeing this baby develop. Then doctors were like, oh, we're finding some hard things in your ultrasounds. We're finding some markers that are not looking too good. You have a chance of cystic fibrosis in the baby, Down syndrome. We're pretty sure that there's been hemorrhaging of blood and the baby's ingesting that and it's blocking its GI tract and his baby is getting bigger and bigger in the belly. So we don't know. And there's probably some infections going on as well. And we're like, sweet, let's add that to the mix. You know, like, this is great. This is fun. No, it's not. In the meantime, we're just praying. Our family is supporting us in huge ways, praying over us. And we're just like, Lord, what's going on? But the whole time we're believing that like, okay, if he's brought us this far, he's going to continue to take us forward and whatever he has planned for us, right? And so um, towards the end of some of the big results, we came to our prayer team, which by the way, we have an awesome prayer team here at our church. And they prayed over us. They put oil on us. And they just said, we're going to contest for healing. That next day, we go to our ultrasound uh, things, and nothing's there. We're like, Lord, it broke awesome. Like, there was day and weeks and just not knowing what's going on. And we see the Lord come through, and we're like, praise Jesus for that, you know? Yeah. And we, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's easier to say now, but like, in, in, the, in the meantime, you we would, we would ha we have the heart to praise Jesus if it was still going to be not great results. But no matter what, the Lord gets victory. We have to believe in that and, and just take that to heart. So when we get news, when we get things that don't align with our plan, we have choices. Either the enemy is going to get victory and lies and this and all sorts of stuff is just going to flood our brain. Or we're going to stand on the truth of God's word and say, no, he's going to get total victory. He's going to win. He's, he's, he's going to take these lies and we're going to fill it with truth. We're going to believe for healing. So one thing that I want to just do and just wrap this time up that we see from Joshua and from our lives as Christians is that again, God got total victory and will get total victory. He got it at Jericho. He got it through his son on the cross who rose from the grave and conquered death. And so what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. When we say yes to Jesus, what's true of him gets applied to us. We now have victory over sin and death. We now have victory over the lies of the enemy. We now have victory over whatever comes our way. The enemy wants to entrap us in lies, in depression, in past hurts, in pain, sickness, in a life that is hopeless, but God. God is one when he, sent his, when he sent his son, Jesus, to earth, who paid the price. But God has given us truth, but God has given us hope, but God has given us healing, and God has won the battle, and he will win the others as well. It's not a one-time thing. It's a forever thing that he will continue to win, and he ultimately wins the biggest battle of all, and that's our salvation, and that's our eternity. And so if anything sticks from today, know this, that heaven has come to fight for us, and the fight ends with victory through Jesus, because God gets total victory, hands down, no matter what. That's what we see in the word, and that's the truth, but we also know it's going to be applied forever and ever is that God gets victory. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the victory we have in you, the, the, the total victory, not partial, not half, not a little bit, but the total victory that through your Holy Spirit, through your, your blood, we are made clean, we are made pure, we are made right with you. So Jesus, remind us of that truth. Remind us that we get total victory. Remind us that it's in you we have victory, nothing else. And so God, encourage us with our own stories, with our own lives, to let that be known, to share that victory with others. That it would be something that where your reputation will go forth and people will respond in a way of knowing there's victory in Jesus, and I need that. So God, again, we honor you this morning for you're a God of healing, you're a God of restoration, you're a God of hope, you're a God of truth. And we, we acknowledge that and we believe in that, Lord. And Lord, I, I just want to even pray for us in this room right now, for a lot of us that are in a battle, that are in a time where we're marching around, it's day one, or it's day two, it's day six, whatever it is, that we have been marching for a long time. And Lord, we're waiting for that breakthrough. Lord, we're believing that you have the victory in that. I want to just pray for them. And, and just with our eyes closed, if that's you just right now, if you're in a battle, if it's something just relationally, if it's something physically illness, if it's something um, with a, an addiction or a habit, just, just raise your hand and say, like, I'm battling right now with something. Yeah. Lord, for those who are raising their hands and the others who are still thinking through it, Holy Spirit, minister to them in this moment. Minister to them throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout their lives. Remind them that you have victory. Remind them that you are working. Remind them that the enemy has no power in their life. And the lies that are being said or told or that they're believing are lies and that you have truth. So I just pray over all these people. I pray for all of us too where who knows what this next season of life will hold, but Lord, we're gonna believe that you're gonna provide in those next seasons. Whether it be a season of dryness or a season full of your goodness. Let us be reminded that you get victory in our lives because of your son. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.